Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank you for taking time to be with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in the U.S. Today is a pretty big day for Columbus, Ohio, and Arlington County, Virginia. Uh, They just found out this morning that they have been selected by the Intelligent Community Forum as two of the top seven intelligent communities for 2014. Uh, Intelligent Community Forum, ICF, is a think tank based in New York City that studies the economic and social development of the 21st century community. And I've actually been following their activities and their various intelligent communities now for a number of years. And each year, ICF embarks on a year-long quest to find the best communities that are on the leading edge in terms of using technology and other resources to advance those communities' economic standing and to improve the quality of life for their, their citizens. And there's probably, I think, over 400 communities from around the world that are vetted in a pretty rigorous um, process. To introduce these winning communities and also give our listeners an understanding of the best practices that these communities have put into place that got them where they are, I invited to join us today uh, Robert Bell, who is the co-founder of uh, ICF, uh, Gary Cavan, who is the CIO for the City of Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Both these gentlemen actually have been on Gigabit Nation before, so they're old hands at this show. And and we also have, for the first time, um, (coughs) excuse me, Terry Haltheimer, who is the Director of Arlington Economic Development in Arlington County, Virginia. Gentlemen, both congratulations and welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. And so um, we've got to, uh, I guess we should start uh, with a general overview of the uh, this year's quest for uh, the top seven, uh, it was very interesting. We were talking offline before you guys got here, but um, the the theme of this year is uh, culture and how our, our community's culture uh, both transforms and gives wing to the economic power of the, the community. And, Robert, just give us a little, a couple of minutes of, you know, what that means in this context of, technology and intelligent communities. I'm happy to, Craig. Thank you. Culture, yeah, that's one of those words that we use all the time, and it's hard to define, and everyone thinks they know what it means, but you can have a long discussion about what it does mean. In our case, we decided to focus on it this year because uh, year after year, as we as we visit communities, as we you know, read of their nomination or, or, read, or questionnaires, um, as we think about the issues they're grappling with, it, it's become clearer and clearer that underlying all the good rational strategies and the plans and the and the uh, the collaboration efforts is this this thing, this culture. I, I, I call it the sea we swim in. You know, we don't even know it's there. Um, so there are clearly po- cultures that are more po- positive and powerful for communities and ones that are not. So in this year's program, we made it our theme, which is always sort of our sixth our sixth criteria, and we asked the communities to talk to us about three aspects of culture. One was, of course, the easy one, the visible one, arts and culture. So most of these, most of the fact, all of the top seven intelligent communities have pretty vibrant arts and culture scenes. They've thought about how to make it more economically valuable, also how to make it a, a driver of greater quality of life, and, and just making the community a wonderful place to be in. So that's, you know, that has high value. We also asked them, however, to reflect on culture as heritage. Where did they come from, and how is that history uh, embedded in people's lives today? And lastly, culture as your current attitude. You know, do you, uh, if you've been, if your community's been economically successful for a long time, that's great. Except that if you run into trouble, you may end up staring like a deer at the headlights. If you've had a, rec- if you've had a history of a lot of economic turmoil and trouble, that's going to affect your ability to believe in a better future, those kinds of things. So 
we, this theme is always for us partly a learning exercise. We, we throw it out there because we want communities to, to teach us something and give us some new ideas. And I'm looking forward actually to sort of summarizing all, everything from all of the, the uh, Smart 21 and seeing what we come back with to be able to talk at our summit in June and in other places about the impact of culture. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start with, uh, well, move on to, to Gary because he's, he's on a little short timeline today. So, Gary, where do you see this intersect of culture and broadband and economic development in Columbus? Uh, thank you for the question. It actually is inseparable. Uh, you don't see one without the other. Uh, first, I'd like to obviously thank the mayor of our city, Michael Coleman, for his leadership. Uh, we also have collaboration with some of our major um, industries here, Columbus 2020, uh, Mr. Kenny McDonald, and the Greater Columbus Arts Council, um, Tom Katzenmeyer, as well as Cisco. But uh, one of the things that has been of benefit to, to the city of Columbus is uh, the mayor has been here for uh, on his fourth term now, and ever since he's been mayor, uh, our charge uh, on a daily basis has been how do we make sure that everyone is included in uh, what is good for our city? whether it be the arts, whether it be recreation, whether it be education, or whether it be uh, job creation. So everything that we do when we are given tasks, we get them on a regular basis, uh, permeates those um, initiatives I I described. Uh, So, for example, you know, we believe, and the mayor has uh, over the past year been very involved in our school system because uh, we're not unlike any other systems across the nation. Um, The kids aren't doing as well as we like them to do. And that uh, obviously has an impact on our on our city, not only uh, in terms of the kids not being ready to uh, graduate, uh, be successful going forward, but you know we have jobs here that uh, aren't uh, being filled because our children aren't really ready to fill those jobs. So the mayor's gotten involved. We've been working with the schools for how the past year now on how do we create a better culture in our schools? How do we get our kids better prepared? How do we make sure that when they leave our uh, school system, that they're ready for the jobs that are out there. And then that obviously rolls into economic development because more times than not, when you see a city, that, or not a city, but an organization wants to relocate wherever they're going to relocate to, one of the first things they want to know about is the culture. What's the school system like? What's the environment like? What's the, the politics like? So uh, those things go hand in hand. You can't separate them. Uh, we've tried very hard. We've worked very hard to make sure that that message is clear and it's heard every day, and we feel like we're doing a pretty good job at that. Mm-hmm. Now, talking to your colleagues, you know, this is your advice column moment, um, how do you uh, ensure that that culture element doesn't get lost in the discussion? Because as communities move these projects forward, a lot of people get into the whole dollars and cents discussion or they get very wrapped into the technology discussion. We need these many bits and bytes and on and on and on. Right. How do you keep culture from getting buried in all of that? Well, I think it, it, it's at the forefront. Um, you know, this has always been a uh, sort of a uh, often used cliche, but the technology doesn't matter, right? I mean, at the end of the day, although it does, but at the end of the day, what I'm really saying, obviously, is that if we make sure that we have the people involved, the right people involved, that they understand what it is uh, we're all trying to accomplish, the, the mayor, again, in collaboration with the business community. We have OSU here. We have Battelle here. We have some major institutions that are in collaboration, and we're all working towards one goal. Now, the technology supports those goals, but at the end of the day, that's what it does. It supports them. We are really trying to make our city, uh, as we say, uh, the best city in the nation to live, work, and raise a family. Mm-hmm. And and what are maybe some of what you might consider your biggest successes in this area of of um, you know making sure that culture is part of the equation? Well, we have a couple of things. First of all, we have one of the largest uh, uh, Somali uh, populations in America. Uh, we have one of a very large Hispanic uh, population in America as well. And excuse me. And one of the things that we've done to make sure that stays at the forefront is uh, we have a what we call our community relations committee organization, direct reporting to the mayor, 
And that organization is focused on making sure that immigrants uh, who come to our city are welcomed, who uh, have um, resources that are available to them to make sure that, uh, you know, they understand, you know, if they're having a problem with the second language, uh, if they're having a problem trying to find uh, certain things in our area, whatever the case may be, that we almost have like a welcoming committee that not just welcomes them but continues to make sure that their needs are being met, uh, as well as all the other residents. Uh, so when we uh, begin to have this discussion about um, culture, again, it's just it's really is integrated into our very fabric of what it is that we do here and what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it's something that uh, we live and breathe every day. Mm-hmm. Now, you have... This is actually going to be your second year um, in the, the big seven, the top seven group. Um, did you feel like there's a, I don't know, a constant or some uh, thread that has kept you guys at the top of this, this group? Because the, the top seven really reflects the best that ICF sees from among Oh, I don't know what four, what is it, Robert four four hundred and some odd uh, communities you guys evaluated. Yeah, we we, we track yeah we track it's up in, it's up very close to four hundred in terms of the communities around the world that we're tracking. Mm-hmm. So, Gary, what's what do you see has been the thread, the theme, or whatever that has kept you guys in this top circle of winners? Okay, um, well, I I would probably say Robert could answer this better than me, but I'm going to give it a shot from our perspective. And that is, uh, you know, we really believe um, in the power and the um, value of broadband. I think that's one of the things that has become our foundation of what we do here. We began building a broadband network several years ago uh, with the mayor uh, being the person that kind of spearheaded and said, "Uh, let's let's go down this road. So uh, before the end of next year, we'll probably have over 400 miles of, of fiber uh, throughout our city. We also, one of the things that um, we're doing right now is that we are collaborating with um, our, our uh, Department of Public Service, and they are going in and, and um, changing out all the traffic lights, traffic and signaling system. And so we're going to have we're going to have fiber going through all of our traffic lights uh, in the next year or so through a federal grant. Uh, so to me, that's kind of foundation. But then even more important than that is, so now that you have this foundation, what are you going to use it for? Right, mm-hmm. so you know we certainly know that we want to you know, make city services more efficient. We want to be able to offer our residents you know, wireless in terms of reading their meters and and things like that, and that's really important. But at the end of the day, what's even more important, you know, public safety. But the most important you know, are our residents, right? We want to make sure that they're receiving the best services uh, in the country, and that you know we can have this network if they don't have access to it or it's not affordable then what does it really mean? So we're trying to make sure that everyone enjoys what's available because we know that by having access to the Internet, uh, you know, it opens up a multitude of worlds from the young to the old, from healthcare mm-hmm. to recreation. So uh, that's the underlying foundation for I think that's kind of what's kept, in the, kept us in the conversation. I think the fact that we have a lot of people, beginning with the mayor as the leader, uh, and businesses that collaborate to make sure that this is important and the residents realize it's important. We continue to go down that road and, again, uh, finally, making sure the residents are included. And when we went mm-hmm. through this years ago, we built a broadband plan, and the first thing we did, we held a retreat and we brought in people from the business world, higher education, um, primary education, um, but one of the major groups uh, and businesses, but one of the major groups that were involved with the residents. We wanted mm-hmm. to hear from them. Uh, mm-hmm. We didn't want to build anything without hearing from them. So we've been going through that plan. We actually have, you know, you hear so many times, governments develop plans and they don't get acted upon. Well, we're mm-hmm. actually following this plan. So Now, this is, that's, I just want to pick up on that if I could, Greg, yeah, Greg because there's something that Gary alluded to a few times there, but I want to just pull it out because it applies to Columbus. It also applies to Arlington. And it's a success factor we see over and over again, the continuity of vision. So 
in, in, in the case of Columbus, Mayor Coleman really has been a seminal figure, right? And, and he, has, he had a vision pretty early on of where he wanted to go. He didn't know how to get there, but he knew where he wanted to go. And he's gotten everybody to buy into that vision. And it hasn't changed because he's been there and the leadership has been consistent. And the same thing is very much true of, of Arlington County, not necessarily that it's one seminal figure like that, but there's just a tremendous continuity of vision, and it's been worked out through a very intensive collaboration taking place over there, producing the same essential result. And that's a cultural factor that's hard. You just you can't you can't underestimate it. Mm-hmm. So where where does Columbus go next? I guess, and I'll then I'll let you go, Gary, because I, I do know you have to, to run. But where where do, where do you see the next <clears throat> level being? You know, again coming back to this theme of, you know, the interwoven aspect of, of uh, culture and technology, what does this mean for Columbus in, say, a year or two? Mm-hmm. So where we go next is that we continue to put education at the forefront. Uh, we continue to make sure that uh, our kids are prepared for, again, those jobs and uh, graduating with uh, uh, the right tools to move forward. We continue to collaborate. Um, internally with our business partners and, and our residents and uh, not-for-profits, our research centers, our universities. But I think where we see ourselves going forward in the upcoming years is that uh, we would like to be a regional. Um, we, if we apply for this again, if by chance we don't win, <laughs> uh, <laughs> even, if we do, we, even if we do, we really want to start looking regionally and how we can have an impact on well, some of the things we're doing. And the reason I say it, we have a city here, Dublin, Ohio, uh, and they've been very innovative in, in some of the things that they've done. As a matter of fact, they've been in the top seven uh, a few times. And, uh, and and so it's a gym in our backyard right next to each other. I think the next step for us is to begin to build and bolster those kinds of relationships to make it more of a regional uh, application. And, uh, you know, I think if we can get there, you know, if it's good for us, it's good for them, it's good for the region. And I think that's mm-hmm. probably the next step for us. So do you see, I know there's a lot of broadband development work going on in Ohio as a result of the stimulus. So do you see mm-hmm. then uh, Columbus playing a greater role as part of a whole uh, versus just what the, the, the accomplishments it's had on its own? Yes, I do. Uh, one of, we have a great partnership. I'm sorry, I forgot to even mention this. And I, but we have a great partnership with the state. Uh, we work very well together. They have a 100 gigabit pipe that uh, runs up and down our state, and they've been very helpful and cooperative in working with us. And you're right, there are a couple of entities that uh, receive stimulus money. We've been in contact with them. Uh, we're at the point now where we are actually going to sit down and try and figure out how we begin to better market what we have in collaboration with what is uh, occurring around the state and sometimes outside our state. So, yes, that uh, will be the natural progression. Excellent, excellent. Well, I thank you very much for um, taking time to join us again and uh, keeping keeping us informed about what's going on in Columbus. And, uh, you know, I wish you all the best luck in New York. Um, I will probably speak with you somewhere between now and then, but, uh, you know, carry on and keep fighting the good fight. I appreciate it. And I think all our listeners appreciate you, you know, your community doing what it does to advance broadband. Thank you, Craig. And uh, thanks for having us on. We appreciate it. Uh, Thank you, uh, ICF. We're honored again to be in the top seven. Uh, Terry, congratulations to you and uh, Arlington County. Uh, Wish you the best. And, Craig, yeah. keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks All right. Take care. Yep. Oh, you Bye. too. Bye-bye. Terry, I want to I want to shift over now and, and get your story in here. Uh, first, I wa- I'm, I'm actually going to ask you the same question, or I want to cover the same question we covered with um, Gary, but maybe a little bit of history where the county is with broadband and the broadband network that you and I discussed earlier today, um, because whereas Columbus has been at it with their network for a number of years, this, at least the county's network, I gather, is is a newer adventure or a more recent adventure compared to Columbus. 
Well, that's correct, but I, I would say we have been involved with, uh, with broadband and the Internet for a while. Um, the, originally, after the, the Sputnik incident, uh, uh, President Eisenhower established uh, ARPA, and it became the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, and one of the spin-off products uh, from them was NSFNet and now the Internet. So uh, we do have uh, a claim to being a home of the Internet, uh, mm-hmm. and a legitimate one. So we, you know, we've been involved uh, uh, since actually the birth uh, in terms of uh, of using it as uh, as a tool. Um, Arlington has a, a big base of, uh, of government agencies and and government contractors. And going all the way back to the 60s when, when data and data formatting and, and information and information technology became economic drivers, uh, many, many of the, the firms that were the, the foundation of the uh, uh, information technology uh, industry uh, were here in Arlington. And so mm-hmm. we, we have been involved in all of the elements of broadband for uh, decades now. Uh, in terms of the county itself, uh, we've been uh, we, we've been connected. We've been connected to uh, all of our facilities uh, uh, linked, and we've used that effectively. But uh, a couple of years ago, we decided we really need needed to effectively own our own network, uh, and we have been constructing that for the last several years. In the final stages right now, where we have linked all county facilities, all schools. Uh, things like people were talking about it, the, the urban systems, the traffic lights, uh, everything related to a functioning of, of a community relative to an urban system of any sort uh, has been in place for uh, a long time. But we're really, really now focusing in on, on how we actually use that to the greatest effect. Mm-hmm. And, and how is the progress coming along? Well, we're trying a few things. You know, when you... When you uh, when you're trying to innovate and invent something, you, you're not always sure you have a total roadmap of where you're going to get. Uh, I, I, I love the, uh, the con, uh, comment that Regina Dugan made when she was the director of uh, DARPA, uh, and she described the mission of the agency as we take uh, the impossible, convert it to the improbable, and make it inevitable. Um, and they don't want to take, uh, undertake any research where there's an apparent re- uh, solution. And so sometimes we're trying things and, and uh, just because we think it's a good idea. Um, but we're doing a few things right now. For instance, we've, we've got this network, and we've established what we call a living laboratory in conjunction with Virginia Tech uh, and, and the county. Uh, and we're, we're saying, okay, how can we create tools uh, that really make us a more effective urban community. Arlington has has got some unique characteristics. We are one of the highest uh, educated populations in the country. Uh, approximately 70% of the adults in the community have college degrees, and we're up to almost 40% of the adults having advanced degrees. So it's it's a little uncommon in some ways. It also makes us one of the the higher income communities in the country. Um, but we have a very large 25 to 34 year old population of highly educated early adopters. Uh, and, and so the, as, as Robert was saying before, culture is kind of the, uh, the you know, the, the ether we all swim in. Uh, and that, that starts to create the need for, um, uh, for innovation in the delivery of services and also in, in public engagement. How do we engage that population that's not likely to go to a public meeting at 8 o'clock at night? And so can we actually get them civically engaged as well as engaged in, in the life of the community in, in ways that uh, uh, they might, might not have previously uh, been engaged? Mm-hmm. Now, so I'm I'm, I'll talk a little bit about the living lab. So one of the things we're doing, for instance, is we're looking at public safety. If we have... If we have all these facilities connected, and we've got quite a number of office buildings in the county connected in a in a quarter of of, of office space, um, we we are working with Virginia Tech and others on sensor technology. And let's just say we have sensors in one of these buildings, and we can we can detect all kinds of security threats. Um, we can detect. Um, changes in temperature, uh, we can detect where people are in buildings. And so, for instance, if there is a fire in a building, we can um, 
uh, the, the first responders know as soon as the fire alarm is, is set, probably by the sensor technology itself, you know, where's the fire, what's the fire doing, how rapidly is it spreading, who's in the building, where are they, where are the entrances to the building, so they can have a plan for responding uh, before they even get on the fire truck. And so mm -hmm. they effectively are fighting the fire uh, on their way to the fire. Uh, if there's multiple buildings involved uh, as in, in a threat, and Arlington has a number of really high, secure, high-profile federal facilities as well as as federal agencies and, and universities and others, you know, if there's multiple buildings involved, then how can we manage that as a as a, um, a, a unique kind of community um, response rather than just an individual response? So we can use that sensor technology not only for public safety, we can use it for security purposes, we can use it for energy. We can we can monitor energy use in, in all of the buildings, at not only individually but as a system. So we can, you know, be able to, to really kind of drive down energy usage, drive down energy costs um, as well and, and make that a benefit to the community. And we can also... Um, make it a competitive advantage from an economic development standpoint. Uh, if you are in a community that is safer, uh, is able to respond more quickly, uh, more intelligently, uh, then, then that actually provides value. And to some extent, these are, it has a potential for being redundant systems. And so if we look at every urban system as um, just elements of a large whole, uh, we can start to see how they all interrelate uh, and, and be able to, in fact, manage the entire environment uh, more effectively. Mm -hmm. Now, I have a question um, that I'm actually going to ask both of you, but I'll start with you, uh, Terry, uh, and then Robert can weigh in. There is a perception, <clears throat> and our broadband stimulus kind of reinforced the perception, and I think it dictates a lot of where money go coming from the federal government to support broadband activities you know, where that ends up going, <clears throat> the perception is that urban areas don't need new infrastructure, that, you know, there's a Verizon store and an AT&T store on every other corner, and why would you possibly need to worry about, you know, uh, broadband infrastructure in an urban environment? But here you guys are clearly in an urban environment developing uh, a, you know, high-speed fiber network. What you know, is the perception wrong? Is, you know, is there, are there great needs for better infrastructure in urban areas? Well, from our perspective, uh, the answer is yes, because we've made about a $14 million investment over the last couple of years uh, in, in building this network. Uh, part of it is cost. Uh, we can provide it more, uh, more cost effectively. Uh, it gives us additional flexibility. Um, it gives us a level of control that we wouldn't otherwise have. And so I think there are some, you know, advantages to the local government to have, have a network. Um, but, uh, but the whole idea of redundancy is important as well. You know, our companies and our agencies like redundancy. They, they insist on reliability. Uh, and, you know, being up 99.999% of the time is nowhere near good enough. Uh, and the idea that, that we can... Um, we can offer more assurance is important too. Mm -hmm. So now, Robert, you, obviously you get to see the world, I mean literally in terms of all of the, of the communities that, that pass through. What is the, you know, what's your take on this perception that, you know, the rural communities need it more, they need more infrastructure than urban? And I don't mean that as a, you know, city versus rural I'm thinking about, you know, rural, I'm sorry, urban as having an equal need. Um, what's, what's your take on that? Well, you know, it's a profound question, actually. I mean, it's one we should take seriously. It's about priority setting for the use of public money. Uh, who needs it more is, is one of the great political questions that we spend our time answering. I guess the, to me the answer is pretty straightforward. It depends what you're going to compare yourself with. If you're Arlington... Uh, or Columbus, you know, Arlington is right, right on the outside of Washington, D.C. You've heard from Terry what kind of a place it is. Well, who is it competing economically with? It's not, it's not competing economically with um, 
Bristol, Virginia, or, or Stratford, Ontario, it's competing economically with Singapore, with with um, Taipei, with uh, major, major places where outside of the United States they've had broadband policies in place for a long time, and they've invested huge sums of money, public and private, in building out just you know, amazing infrastructure, 1,500 megabits, you know, without even thinking about it per second. So. You know that's what is appropriate for a community that's going to be competing at that level, at a rural level where you're trying to fill in holes and get some people off dial-up um, or off, off you know, what I like to call always-on dial-up, uh, that, that mm-hmm. broadband service that isn't really um, perfectly legitimate claim that you're going to be leveling the playing field for them. So I, I don't know how you decide which is more deserving. Uh, I think it's a matter of the, the cities and, and counties knowing what it is they want to do with it and having a good plan, and those are the people who should get the money. Right. And I don't even necessarily think it's a, you know, who needs it more as much as we need to have the, the, the realization that urban areas need it as much. I mean, if, you, if you're going to you know, low-income areas of, you know, Washington or New York, where the physical infrastructure has deteriorated and the incumbents aren't repairing it. If you have, um, you know, research facilities and hospital facilities coming into, you know, Philadelphia or Chicago, uh, they need better infrastructure. So I don't necessarily, and you can tell me if you either, you know, both of you guys can tell me if you agree or not, but it's not so much, you know, who needs it more as much as we've created a false, I don't know, dichotomy, if that's the right word or not, but we've, I think, created a false perception and public policy and funding programs reflect that issue. Uh, well, to me, I mean, I think tra- transit and transportation is a good analogy. Uh, another one of our top seven communities is Toronto, and they're building out a huge, huge de- development on their waterfront. And part of it, I was fascinated to learn, is what they call a transit-first strategy. So, Rather than um, you know building a bunch of condos and then sort of, and building some roads and saying well we'll figure out the transit at some point, somebody was smart enough to say well if you do that you've made a decision. The decision you've made is that everybody's going to bring a car. Whereas if you put in transit first, you create the opportunity to create a much less densely traveled area with much you know much higher level of of quality of life and. I remember being being in Toronto and somebody pointing up the the, the uh, pointing north of the city and there was a huge you know dense cluster of development going up that way and he said you know what that is I said what well, that's where the biggest broadband pipes in the in the in the entire metropolitan area run and that's where everybody's clustered so um, it's the same fundamental principle if you if you wait until somebody has density to give them this this stuff that's the wrong move. Um, and if you if you assume that because they're dense already they don't need anything better, I think that's the wrong move as well. Mm-hmm. There may Terry, be another element of it as, as well, and that is that if you're talking about a place like Arlington, uh, where where you do have a relative uh, density both of employment and and, and residents, um, there, there's some economies of scale uh, in terms of of innovation and and being a test bed or or pilot place to for new technologies that might well be applicable in rural and other areas as well, but but being able to test it uh, in, in a community that, that clearly is designed for that to happen uh, can can make innovation happen more quickly and make it spread more quickly. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want to um, – I think I, I want to make sure I don't want to forget, uh, Terry, I wanted you to talk about the um, this intersect of culture – broadband and economic development, how do you see that intersect happening within Arlington County? Well, in one way I think we're, we're different from others is that uh, I'm the Director of Economic Development and we also um, have the Cultural Affairs Division of the county within economic development, one of very few counties around the country uh, that does that. So. We're, we're involved in the arts and culture part of it from the standpoint of it's actually embedded within our economic development uh, department, within our plans, within our strategy uh, in terms of building facilities, in terms of engaging the community and uh, supporting uh, local arts as well as reaching out for audience for uh, arts and culture at the broader scale. 
I like to think of culture in the way that Robert was describing it, where where it's much broader in terms of uh, it just gets embedded in the people and who they are and how they how they function. You know, now we've got a population that uh, they don't they don't they don't read the paper anymore. They get their news, they get their information in other ways. They share news and information in other ways. Arts and culture is just part of their new, normal communication pattern. Uh, you know, they're they're sharing, you know, selfies, but they're also sharing where they're going to go out that night or what they're, you know, they're going to have for dinner or or where they're going to meet up. I mean, every element of the social fabric of the community is kind of tied into this new communication pattern. Uh, and that is a different part of culture. Uh, it changes the way that people um, interact, the, the way they seek information, uh, the way they share information, uh, and, and that is part of the culture <clears throat> of the play. Mm-hmm. Now, um, recently, FCC Chairman Wheeler was in Oakland, and there was a town hall meeting, which was actually a very good event, and we talked about it here on Gigabit Nation the day after um, a, one of the points that came up in both the town hall and on the show was that broadband and media access are basically now one and the same. I mean, most media is digital, and you know, and so broadband access and 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 media access are, you know, for all intents and purposes, they're one and the same. And if you're having a discussion about the preservation of culture, the advancement of culture, you know, the intermingling of culture with everything else, do you guys feel that, um, you know, th- that, that, that broadband and media are pretty much the same? And what do you see the role of particularly media and how we shape or try to shape the media? Uh, what's that importance in maintaining our, our culture? And we start maybe with Terry in this one. Well, that's kind of a hard question, I guess. I mean, you know, broadband initially was a way to get information, and now people get information in a variety of ways. And where they seek the information from, you know, they shop for information in places where they're going to get it in the form and format where they most want it. You can almost design um, how you get your news, how you get your information these days. And I think that it's changed the media dramatically and probably forever uh, in, in regarding uh, uh, what the sources of information are to to different populations. Uh, and, and so from that standpoint, the media is, is everywhere. The media is, uh, is a guy with a blog. The media is a, a local news website that's not run by a formal news organization. Uh, and... Uh, uh, I, I just think the world has changed dramatically and, and uh, not always quite sure um, that it's a good thing. Uh, but but the, from the standpoint of the media, where it used to be somewhat governed by rules and things people learned in journalism school, it's much more free form and out there these days. Uh, and, and I do think that it represents a, a change, a cultural change, a shift of some sort. Mm-hmm. Robert, yeah, at the, com- at the community level, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's, a, it's like so many other things in, the, in this broadband revolution that we're still in the early days of. Uh, it, is a, it is a sword with two edges, right? So it creates immensely greater opportunities for members of the community to have a voice, to contribute, um, to do an Internet radio show like the one we're doing, to, to you know, provide their unique points of view as part of the total the totality of that culture. On the other hand, of course, it's incredibly fragmenting, and you now have many, 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 many sources of information, and there's a, it's a huge megaphone for people we would probably rather not hear about, hear from, um, because they're sharing with us either things that are hateful or things that we disagree with. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it, in some ways, it's going to exercise a fragmenting power, I think, on a local community, and yet... I think ultimately the power of the prosumer, as they call it in the TV business, the, the producer-consumer of media is going to be a net benefit as we all kind of learn the rules of the road and we learn what we sh- you know, how to listen to what we want to listen to. 
um, how to keep ourselves open to other points of view you know at the same time um, these technical technological evolutions are, are amazingly well we always see the bad stuff first because that's what we understand and it takes a long time for the positive aspects to emerge hmm uh, probably truer than not. Yes, I have to. I have to agree. There's definitely a, a point there. Definitely a point there. Um, looking at where Arlington will be in say a year or two, how do you see this intersect? This uh, intersect between culture, broadband, and economic development. How do you see that playing out in, in Arlington? Well, if we're looking at it from, from the economic development standpoint of job growth uh, and ultimately um, tax base, uh, the, the nature of the economy is changing. And it's changing in ways that are somewhat uh, alarming for, for us. For instance, uh, government office space, which drove a good portion of our tax base, uh, lease space, is, is declining and corporations are leasing less space. Uh, corporations are hoteling and, and having more people report to effectively smaller spaces or, or teleworking where they don't even have space at all. And so our, our economic base is driven by, by office demand, and if the office demand is, is declining and, in fact, in, 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 completely declining uh, consistently, that, that's going to have a huge, huge fiscal impact on us. So in terms of, of, of that, what, what do we replace that demand from? It has to be new, new types of companies because uh, the old types of companies are just not going to be, uh, be either there or, or demanding the same, same types of space. So uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it very parochially here, but, but we have to be creating jobs that, um, uh, that are not the kinds of jobs that we've had before. For instance, more than half of the office space in Arlington was leased by, by a handful of companies, about 3% of the companies, and those were the Boeings and Lockheed Martins and, and uh, you know, all the acronym agencies and contractors that do business with the federal government. Well, if we lose one of those companies, and, and we've done that, um, lose a half a million square feet, that, I might have to get 100 companies to replace the one that we've lost. And so we have to start growing companies that have have enormous potential uh, for for rapid rapid growth, and we've been doing that in a number of cases. <coughs> Excuse me. For instance, we've we've got a company uh, that's in the energy business that has gone from about three to almost 400 people in the last couple of years from the standpoint of uh, of making energy more efficient uh, through the use of broadband and, and providing energy information to customers. We have a number of, uh, of innovative companies in the health business, healthcare business, that have uh, used the uh, use broadband to, to uh, extend healthcare services to their clientele in efficient ways. Uh, I mean, there's so many new models for healthcare now that uh, uh, we don't even know which one is likely to prevail. So the idea that innovation is everywhere all the time and incredibly more important than it has ever been uh, is kind of where we have to uh, focus our economic development efforts. Mm -hmm. Um and let me let me put this question to to both of you. <clears throat> One of the trends in technology these days seems to be these things called hackerspaces, and in fact, I recommend them to my clients. And it's basically, <clears throat> you know, you open up a big warehousey type building or facility, and you bring a bunch of creative people in, and you put some you know high speed internet access in there. And you let them create a dynamic, a, an entrepreneurial dynamic, all on their own for the most part. And it's heavily tech, technical, technology oriented, but I mean, there's also other kinds of businesses that grow up from this. And this is very different than the incubator structure, say, that drove Silicon Valley. Um, is the is the hackerspace trend an example of, in your minds, a changing culture that affects? Um, both the need for broadband and also it, it affects the, the, the culture of, of an area. And this time I'll start with Robert and then, then Terry, you can give me a kind of a ground-level perspective. 
The Economist magazine in this week's issue has a whole has a special report on exactly this thing on, on uh, tech startups. It's it's quite interesting reading. Well, the, there's an underlying driver of of the success of the hackerspace, the accelerator, the all these things that are a new form of, of business school or a new form of, of incubator, uh, and that is that it's become incredibly cheap to start a, start a business as we, you know, as you get the the kind of infrastructure of an Amazon Web Services, or as one example of what are apparently hundreds and hundreds of offerings out there, where if you're doing really a digital startup um, the costs are instead of being in the millions are in you know the, the tens of thousands uh, to get a business off the ground and of course we can see that in this world you can get a lot of eyeballs if you've got the right the right offer whether you can get any profit out of that is another question mm-hmm. um, so I think it's I think it's the maturing of, of, uh, of um, the original incubator movement but it's very heavily driven by uh, really by brought without very high quality broadband you couldn't be getting to this stage and now that it's becoming this utility that connects us to amazing resources those resources can kind of go anywhere uh, in other words a great I mean, just a great sort of factoid that the new york stock exchange has lost about half of its market share over the last few years well there's this little company called bats which is in lenexa kansas and it's now got 10 percent of the world's market in in trading you know, and it's in a place with thirty thousand people out in the plains, because mm-hmm. it's you know it's got connectivity. It's sitting in a place where all it needed was connectivity, cheap land, and great power sources to, to do what it's doing, as well as a lot of talent. So, those are all part. That's a completely different example from your question, but it's part of the same the same trend line. Mm-hmm. Okay, that, that makes sense. Terry, what are your thoughts? Well, there's a article in the Washington Post a couple weeks ago talking about the post-accelerator economy after the highly touted accelerator that was established in the district two years ago uh, closed um, simply because it didn't feel it was needed anymore. Uh, hmm. and, and, and I think it, it gets to the nature of collaboration. Uh, I mean, you've got co-working spaces and, and uh, accelerators and other kinds of, of real estate-driven facilities but do you really need a facility in order to collaborate? Uh, you, you know, we find that people don't have to be in the same industry, they don't have to have the same background, and for, effectively they don't have to be in the same place to be able to, to collaborate. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I think that um, kind of instant collaborations, instant companies, um, instant applications are where we're going to be. Uh, and the idea that we can get access to uh, to intelligence and uh, and ideas more easily than we could uh, previously is going to be helpful in terms of intellectual property. Um, one of the large defense companies uh, made available the, some of the patents that they had, uh, and they let a company come in, a new company come in and mine their, their intellectual property that they weren't using and had no intention of using. And the value of that within a year approached a billion dollars. Uh, of just the technology intellectual property sitting on the shelf. Well, we're, we're looking at what's sitting on the shelf in DARPA and the Office of Naval Research and the Air Force Office of Scientific Research and some of these other agencies where can, can we make um, information intellectual property available uh, to people who can uh, find new uses for it uh, and maybe even create not only new businesses but entire new industries. Uh, I think all of that's going to be happening, and it's going to be happening very soon. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, let me ask this question. Uh, this is a kind of like a city planner question, but <clears throat> how do you structure a broadband project team, and and how do you plan for um, making sure that you maintain that intersect between culture? broadband and economic development is it you know certain types of people that you bring in hire whatever what would your take be and I'll start with Terry this time to kind of give the the grassroots view of this but then you know Robert can talk about the global you know the perspective well I, I wish I had a really good answer because that's the question I'm being asked is in my job right now is <laughs> what what do we do who do we do it with and how do we do it 
mm-hmm. um, because change is happening at an accelerated pace, uh, and and we don't always know where where it's going. And and uh, I think the um, the answer to that is really hard. I mean, we're searching for it constantly. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, one of the things we're doing is it's interesting. We're we're, help, we're connecting Arlington to a couple of places uh, in the U.S. Riverside, California, and uh, Dublin, Ohio, that uh, that Gary Cavan mentioned, um, because they've grappled with this and come up with different answers. You know, and and so that that kind of cross pollination of ideas, I think, is is very powerful. And I you know I know Arlington will figure it out. It, it, innovation is like that, as you said, as you said, Terry. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, there isn't, of course, there is not a simple answer to this, but 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 some of the some of the answers are. It seems as though um, infrastructure is a good place for the public sector to play because you know fundamentally a ne- network infrastructure can be equated pretty easily to a road, a sewer system, a lighting, electrical, you know, street lighting system. These are comp- you know relatively complex things that have to be built, maintained, and run. The delivery of services, the, the, the complexity of, of, of technology, well, may, maybe that's a place where the city plays, but I find most of them would prefer not to. Mm-hmm. Um, they would prefer to have to be able to partner with, with um, the telecom carrier community, and they're you know, enormously, they vary enormously in their willing, willingness to, to collaborate, to let someone else, for instance, run their infrastructure while they deliver the service. Uh, but more, I think most importantly, as you're planning it, you need to have a core of all of the the essential, ultimately customers, for what you're doing at the table. Um, so if it's your major institutions, if it's your major um, companies, who can you know pretty much look after themselves, but may really have a may see tremendous benefit in having a network that they have more control over, that's probably cheaper for them. Um, you know, they, and they also have a lot of power as, as major customers of, of telecom companies. So they should be there, but also arts, also um, um, libraries and, and schools. And, and all these groups have got a lot of buying power, a lot of interest in the outcome. And, you know, as always with collaboration, the hard part is to, is to get all the cats moving in the same direction. <laughs> Let me go back to, to something that Craig said before, because you tried to put it in an urban planning context. And, I happen to be an urban planner as well as an economist, um, and and I don't think that we have lost the need for for quality and excellent places. Uh, people still want to live someplace that uh, that gives them all of the benefits of of uh, what what would satisfy them in, in their life, and it might be you know proximity to to what Robert just said: libraries and schools and playhouses and. And uh, you know, interesting conversations and all of the kinds of things that uh, that that place really does represent. Uh, and so, creating great urban places—I'm talking in an urban context because that's what Arlington is—is uh, is still fundamentally important. Uh, you you want to be a place where uh, workforce wants to be, uh, where people want to live, uh, where there are exciting things going on. Uh, so the idea that we we uh, still need personal interaction uh, and access to arts and culture and uh, uh, intellectual discussions is is more fundamentally important now than ever. I think I don't can't get it all on your iPhone or your television. Mm-hmm. Well, I would agree with you very much, Terry. I, I mean, I think that I think actually it has become far more important as people become more mobile as in particular the people you probably most want in your community, have more choices, more options, quality of place becomes dramatically important. And one of the problems that big, big, big cities have is, you know, they're challenged to provide that in many cases. It's difficult to get around. It's difficult to do anything in a city like the one that I work in, New York. Um, It has a lot of great qualities to offer, but it has a lot of downsides as well. And so that's something I know that particular city works on all the time. Mm -hmm. So we've got a little over five minutes left. One question I'd like to tackle is, and again, you know, Robert, you can kind of give me the global perspective and Terry can give me the local perspective. How do you get people to take the cultural aspects of this discussion that we've had, you know, for the last hour, you know, the importance of the arts and music and so forth and making sure that we look at changing cultures when you've got, you know, lots of 
political and financial pressures to keep things, you know, focused on, you know, economic development numbers, you know, numbers, 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 technology, you know, numbers, capability, capacity. But how do you get people to take this, this cultural aspect seriously? And um, uh, let's, let's start with, with uh, Terry this time. Well, the community has to be able to express what its values are and define uh, what what we value, they value as a, as a community. Uh, we we have those discussions fairly frequently because uh, when you're when you're making numbers decisions, budget decisions, uh, you know, you're you're deciding where you're going to put your money. Are you going to be putting it into broadband infrastructure, streetcars? Um, a cultural center, what, how are you going to spend your money as a community, which gets to the fundamental issue of what do you value, what do you want to be, what is the vision for your community. Uh, and, and as I guess Robert was talking before, the idea that you can have a consistent, compelling vision over time helps you make some of those kinds of decisions. Okay. So I, think we, I think leadership has a lot to do with it. I mean, I think that, again, it's a great role for a senior leader in the community to make that a focus because, you know, it, the costs of culture, unless you're going to build yourself another big arts center, which is, you know, fine, maybe it's a good development, the costs of a lot of cultural things are minimal. You know, artists, musicians, these people, performers of all kinds, creators of all kinds, they don't really want that much. What they want is is, is a conducive environment and support in um, – where was it? I have a problem. I have the problem that I've seen so many great examples. I can't always remember where they come from. I think it was from Chattanooga, <laughs> which was a top seven one year. They just they had a foundation that just created a a, a kind of uh, incubator without walls for artists. So it was just a, a, a function. Some people who spent their time working with the arts community, people in the arts communities, to help them just make a living. You know, get your get your your business as a creative person better organized. Maybe you can apply for a grant over here. To, and what they ended up doing was creating a pretty vibrant arts cluster just from doing that. So I think there's, the good news is that with arts and culture, there's a lot of very creative things that the city can do that are not just about spending big whacks of money mm-hmm. and that have a lot of impact. Yeah, Arlington was one of the first communities to establish an arts incubator. And yes, it, well, you've had your arts commission forever, right? Yeah. Well, uh, uh, types of, of organizations that now are sustainable and much, much larger. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, um, <clears throat> I guess, do something a little different here as we get the last couple of minutes. Uh, you know, in going through the ICF materials prepping for, for the show, there was something that, that st- stuck out in, in, and really grabbed my attention, I think, that should be maybe the closing thoughts to our listeners. And that is... <clears throat> At one point, you say culture provides intangible assets that are needed for success. It determines how readily new ideas are accepted. Uh, It helps educate constituents about their role in the new economy. And it enables constituents to persuasively articulate the vision. I kind of, in my mind, add, you know, broadband vision. But that seems to be a good summary of the value of culture in this discussion, in a minute each, do you have a thought on that? I mean, it's really, really, we got like two minutes to go before we shut off here. Robert, do you want to take that maybe first? Well, yeah, I, I wrote that, so I should hopefully be able to uh, be able to speak to it. But it, this really is the determiner, and, and I think that when I, I talk to a lot of planners, people interested in building broadband networks, and they get all excited about the towers and the and the conduit and the bits and the, and the data rates and the, mid, the, the middle mile and all the things that they need to care about, but what they forget is that nobody else does. And what other people, what the people in the community care about is, you know, how does this make my life better? How does it make my family's life better? How does it make the place I live and love, hopefully? A, a more wonderful place, and that's what I think that anyone who is who is stepping out onto a broadband project that needs to be the starting place, not the technology. Okay, and um, uh, what do you think, Terry? Is that a good summation of our discussion? You only got a minute, though. I have to rush you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. I, I do believe that in the end, the technology is only a tool. And it is not the end uh, product. Uh, as, as Robert said, it, what, what do we allow the community to do 
uh, and and how do we allow it to be expressed is is only aided by technology. Technology, in the end, is not the point. Excellent. I think that pretty much sums us all up. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very, very much for your time and your insight. Uh, you know, Robert, this is a great program that you guys have going, and it's what year is this for the program? Wow. Um, first, uh, the first award ever was 1999, so it's been a while. Excellent. Good track record. Uh, Terry, welcome to the circle. I uh, hope to touch the base with you guys again before June. Uh, and to our audience, thank you for joining us. Uh, we appreciate the support. We will talk about broadband next week on the show. Everybody have a wonderful day, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you.